continuing, God, where uh, Jeff left off, uh, we call out to you, we look to you, uh, we yearn for you. We ask that you would help us to be attentive, to pay attention to uh, your word, your will, and your way, uh, to your purpose, and to your presence, and to your power among us and in your word. Give us eyes to see and ears that are good to hear and hearts that are good soil. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word that they be taken to heart. If my words are in any way inconsistent with your word, may they be uh, not even heard, passed over. We pray in Christ the Lord. Amen. So a few questions uh, to start with this morning. What is it that tempts you? What to you is tempting? Sort of close your eyes, think about that for a moment. Happy thoughts. We know who it is who tempts us. We know who it is that tempts me. We know uh, who that is. But with what are you tempted? In what ways are you tempted? To what lures are you drawn? What sorts of things draw you into themselves? And what do you do with that temptation that we all experience, feel? How do you respond? And if you push back, how do you push back? How do you do that? In his little book titled, In the Name of Jesus, Henry Nouwen wrote that like Jesus, we are tempted by the desire to be relevant, by the possibility of becoming popular, by doing remarkable things, and by the tentacles of power. Others have said that we are drawn into temptation by the possibilities of pleasure. We are lured or drawn in by our pride. As our computers are under constant attack from malware and spam of every sort, so you and I live also under constant attack from temptation. In what ways and how do we respond to such? So with those questions in mind, uh, as a community and uh, for us individually, listen closely as I read from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. This is the Word of God. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry understatement of the passage. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones, and there were many of them there in the wilderness, to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple, if you are the son of God. The devil said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give you, the devil said, if you will simply bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended Jesus. 
At the end of the chapter that precedes this, chapter 3 of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, but Jesus' baptism was not about his sin or the forgiveness of his sin. He had no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. Rather, Jesus' baptism was about him identifying himself fully with humanity and him being blessed by his Father, represented by the Spirit of God visibly descending upon him like a dove and a voice from heaven that said, This is my Son whom I love, with him I am well pleased, this affirmation of the Father's love. And with that, Jesus was led by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And tempted he was in ways that were very specific to him, not just general temptation, not just any temptation, but temptation that was custom-crafted, for him. Having fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, the evil one tempts Jesus and all Jesus' humanity with bread for his stomach and with exercising his powers that he had to meet his own physical needs. If I had been in Jesus' shoes, I would have in an instant made donuts out of the stones (laughs) or maybe oatmeal chocolate chip cookies. But Jesus declared, man does not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, quoting the book of Deuteronomy from the book of the law, from the books of Moses, from the core of the Jews' Jews scriptures, Jesus affirms what God had declared through Moses, that while physical bread like manna or pita or sourdough or tortillas keep our our bodies alive, we do not actually live truly live, fully live by such bread alone, but also necessarily by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus doesn't deny the necessity of complex carbohydrates, not at all, but he also affirms the necessity of ingesting God's word, of feasting on God's word to truly live, to live successfully to live in and according to his kingdom. Are we together on this? And Jesus doesn't just say, but he also believes this. He also lives this. He also exemplifies this. Think of a time when you consciously experienced overwhelming temptation to do something or to say something or to wish for something or to be someone, or to desire something, or maybe someone. And what did you do? How did you respond? What tools were at your disposal? The devil somehow transports, we're not exactly sure how, transports Jesus to the highest point of the temple and says to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, calling into question Jesus God-given, heaven-sent identity, sowing seeds of doubt about that voice from heaven at Jesus' baptism, challenging Jesus' very identity, challenging Jesus to prove himself. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from this high point on the temple, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot 
against a stone so that you will not be hurt. And with that, the devil tries to beat Jesus at his own game, to twist Scripture into an unrighteous use. And Jesus responds, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And Jesus can do this time and again because Jesus knows God's word inside and out. Because it is on his heart and so it is on his tongue. Because it is like the air that he breathes. Because he has breathed it for 30 years. Jesus has not lived by bread alone. But by every word that has come from his father through the scriptures. And the devil tries again, tempting Jesus with position and power and prestige and privilege. And again, Jesus responds with scripture, with the word of God, because Jesus had been and he was immersed in it. And the only mention in the scriptures of Jesus between the time that he was a toddler and the beginning of his public ministry when he's about 30 years old, we see Jesus in Luke's gospel at the age of 12 in the temple courts with the teachers of the scriptures, the teachers of the law, listening to their teaching, asking them questions, answering their questions, and amazing everyone present with his insights, with his wisdom, with his knowledge with his explanations. In the four Gospels, Jesus quotes from the Old Testament about 80 times, including from at least 15 different books in the Old Testament, most often in this order from the Psalms and Deuteronomy and Isaiah and Exodus. Jesus was immersed in the Scriptures. He was immersed in God's Word. That was his way. That was a part of his way. And he assumed that those who would be his disciples, his students, his apprentices, would be also immersed in God's Word. When Jesus was asked which of the 613 commands in the Old Testament was most important, as we've talked about the last two weeks, he nailed it. First time, first try, because he knew the Old Testament, because he knew the Scriptures, because he knew God's Word, and he expected that those who were learning from him how to live life in the kingdom would also know the Scriptures as the inspired words and Word of God. Jesus continually said, you have heard that it was said because they had heard that it was said in the synagogue and in their homes and in the morning and in the evening from their parents, from their elders, in their Torah schools. They continually heard that it was said, referencing the Old Testament. Jesus taught his disciples to understand and apply the scriptures, believing that not only would such give a person victory over temptation, but also lead her in paths of righteousness and to a sort of life that Jesus calls abundant and eternal. Do we, as people who are seeking to follow Jesus, know the scriptures? Are we immersed in God's word? The Bible is the best-selling book of all times. Some say five billion copies have been printed and distributed. 87% of American households have a Bible in them. Even with the onset of the internet age, there are still an average of 4.4 old-fashioned, paper-bound Bibles in the average American household. Bibles are everywhere. 
but are we immersed in God's word? We may be surrounded by them, but are we immersed in it? The Bible may be the best-selling book of all times and ubiquitous in our culture, but it is also less often read than owned, and fewer still actually understand what the Bible says, the big picture of the scriptures. And admittedly, the Bible may be the most difficult book on your shelf to understand. Written by maybe three dozen different and unconnected authors, all inspired by God, over the course of about 1,500 years in at least two different ancient languages and various different contexts and cultures, all removed from our culture and our context by 2,000 years and packaged together in 66 books, which often aren't even in chronological order, in at least five significantly different genres. No wonder people pick up the Bible and then often put it down or are only able to read snippets, verses here and there. But friends, we are not without hope in this. Any person who desires to put forth an effort can come to understand the scriptures well if we are intentional about such. For many years, that Bible, just the whole thing was so overwhelming for me that I wouldn't even open it. You may have heard the story of the man whose daily scripture reading consisted of opening the Bible arbitrarily and reading the first verse that his finger touched. One morning his finger landed on a verse that read, and Judas went out and hanged himself. That can't be God's word for me today, the man said to himself. And so he tried again, but this time his finger landed on a verse that said, go thou and do likewise. A bit perturbed, but not yet willing to give up, the man decided to try one more time, thinking, the Bible says three's a charm, right? And this time his finger landed on a verse that said, what thou doest, do quickly. <laughs> Ugh. Which reminds me of another story. A new pastor to a church, to a congregation, thinks it's a good thing to visit parishioners in their homes to get to know people. And so he goes about doing that his first week. At one house, there were several indicators, lights on, noise, music, dot, 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 that someone was actually home, but no one answered the door after his repeated knocks and ringing of the doorbell. So the pastor took one of his business cards and wrote on it, Revelation 3.20, and he wedged it between the door and the door frame and left. The following Sunday, the financial secretaries going through the church's offering baskets after worship came across that same card which they handed to, over to the pastor. The card, it seemed, had been returned anonymously, but below Revelation 3.20 had been written Genesis 3.10. Revelation 3.20, of course, says or begins, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Flipping open his Bible, the pastor chuckled when he discovered that Genesis 3.10 reads, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. <laughs> of course, the Bible was never intended to be used or read or understood in this way, just as the writing of the verse Philippians 4.13 on athletes' shoes and bodies via tattoos, for example, completely misses the context. 
When the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, I can do all things through him who gives me strength, he was not talking about winning basketball championships or conquering the world of sports or making it to the top, but rather that he could go without food and basic physical necessities, languishing alone in prison for the sake of the gospel because God gave him strength, because the gospel sustained him, because of the great hope that he had in the resurrected and reigning Jesus. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Are you with me? But where to begin? How can a person read and understand the Bible well and accurately and faithfully? How can a person be immersed in God's word in ways that bear fruit in one's life, that positively impact one's heart and mind and spirit? Here are a few guiding principles. First, and most obviously, Read. Tens of millions of Christians have tens of millions of Bibles that never get read. The first step is to read. And for many of us, that will mean turning off the television or putting down our phones. The average American watches this, watches, and you may know this, 35 hours of television a week. For an average reader, it takes 70 hours to read the whole Bible out loud. I'm not very good at math, but I can do this math. If the average American reader turned off their television and used just that time for scripture reading, he or she could read the entire Bible in just two weeks out loud, maybe more quickly, silently, or in her mind. The first step in being immersed in God's word is to read. Number two is to read prayerfully. Pray before during and as one reads the Bible because it is not an ordinary book. It is not like the other books on one's shelf. It is God's word inspired and for us. So ask God for his blessing and for enlightenment and what he desires to communicate to you through his word at that moment, that day. Number three, read systematically and not randomly like the man we talked about earlier. Have a plan. When I finally began to read books of the Bible straight through from beginning to end, taking care to understand a book's context before beginning, it was then and only then that I truly began to understand God's word by reading books of the Bible straight through, which was novel for me. Number four, read graciously. Don't allow the reading of the Bible to become a legalistic endeavor. In other words, I have to do this today. If I'm not, I'm a terrible person or my day is not going to go well. Remember that the scriptures of the Old and New Testament are the words of a loving God for humanity. A loving God for humanity who cares about us, who wants only good for us. And so let the reading of God's word in your life be a source of joy and grace. Don't be too hard on yourself. Fifth, read attentively. Pay attention. I don't know about you, but my mind can just wander. I was reading a book yesterday or the day before, and I read several paragraphs. Like my mind is reading those. But I had left the book a long time ago, and was thinking about other things, was plotting about solving problems, was thinking about things I needed to do, and sort of realized a whole page later, I have no idea what I've just read, but I've solved a couple of problems (laughs) along the way that I really needed to solve. I don't know if you do that. 
We must focus our minds, be attentive, pay attention, shut out other noise. And sixth, read expectantly. Expect that God has something to say to you and specifically for you. Every time you open his word, read with hope. And there are lots of ways to do this. For the better part of a year, last year, we read through the Bible as a congregation using a book or a tool or a plan called The Story, which was a good overview for some of us and a good review for a refresher course for others. And The Story's chronological compilation of the scriptures, which arranges the chapters and verses of the Bible to read more like a novel and so easier for us, remains a great and easily accessible tool or resource I always recommend a good study Bible, and Zondervan's, I'm not getting any money for this, Zondervan's New International Version study Bibles are, in my opinion, as good as they come for the average person among us. I would be happy if every Christian, every one of us here, owned some sort of study Bible. And if you can't afford one, let me or one of the elders or deacons know, and it will be yours tomorrow. It was with and through such a Bible that God's word first came alive for me. Having uh, been originally written in Hebrew and Greek, Bibles come in many different good translations in the English language too. Some of this can be confusing to some of us, but there are lots of good translations in the English language. Among them are the New International Version, the Revised Standard Version, the English Standard Version, the New American Standard Version, the the New English Translation, and even the New King James Version for those who like to speak with thous and yees. All of these are solid. We've got a library of good biblical commentaries right here on campus for those who are interested, including books like How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee, What the Bible's All About by Henrietta Mears that help us to access the scriptures, God's word. There are lots of websites out there today, and you know this, but it's just a reminder that can help you read, study, find your way through the scriptures Some of my favorites are BibleGateway.com, StudyLight.org, Bible.org. The Christian parachurch organization ministry called Navigators many years ago produced and continues to promote something they call the topical memory system that helps people memorize passages of Scripture so that the Scriptures will be written on a person's heart, which is a fantastic practice and which contrary to some some people's opinions, is still possible the older that we get. It is still possible if we give it a little bit of effort, helped along by God's grace. There are so many great Bible apps there today for our phones. My favorite one right now, as I'll just share with you, is an app called YouVersion, and it's free. And with it, you can read lots of different English translations of the Scriptures. And not only read, but you can listen to any book, chapter, verse in the Bible by hitting it with your finger. So you can listen on your commute to work. You can listen while you work out. You can listen while you're fixing dinner. You can listen while your kids aren't listening to you. (laughs) You can listen anytime you want. I've got a friend whom some of you know, and for the last several years, as he's driven around the Bay Area, commuted, and as he's done his work, he does the kind of work that one can do with earplugs in, he has continually listened to the Bible on tape via his app. 
And over the last several years, he has been through the entire Bible many times. And it is uh, now something he is so fully immersed in that his life is transformed. He has been renewed and refreshed. He is a different person, overflowing continually with God's word. There are many good resources for children and youth out there. The best Bible for children that I know of and that Gladys would affirm is called the Jesus Storybook Bible, which we've read to our children multiple times and never gets old, and through which Karen and I both as well have been encouraged and filled with joy at the way this version of the scriptures and the Bible stories is presented, unpacked, illustrated. For some people, listening to God's word may be the most practical way of going about that. Some of us are on a free subscription list that emails us a passage of scripture in the morning. Some of us read a short passage, just a tiny passage, each day and meditate on that. Others in the congregation are in a rhythm that takes them through the entire Bible each and every year. How one ingests God's word probably is not as important as simply in some way being immersed in it. Someone might say to themselves, but I have already read the Bible, the entire Bible, or at least a good part of it. Why do I need to continually or regularly be immersed in God's word daily? And the answer to that question goes like this, why do you need to eat every day? You have already fed your body with food. You ate yesterday and the day before and every day and week and month and year before that. Why continue to ingest food, calories, proteins, carbohydrates, fats, when you have already done so for years? And of course the answer to this is that a body requires regularly and daily food to live. But it is also just as true that a spirit requires regular ingestion of words from the Spirit in order to truly, truly live. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And I know, uh, like you do, whether consciously or unconsciously, that we live in a postmodern, post-Christian, pluralistic, multi cultural world in which all paths by many are considered equally valid and good. I know that there are lots of scriptures and sacred texts and now best-selling books out there that purport to reveal a way or the way to enlightenment or peace or prosperity or wholeness or happiness. And many of those texts or books or writings may have snippets of truth in them, I acknowledge. But my experience has been like that of the disciple Peter. When many of Jesus' followers were abandoning Jesus, and Jesus says to Peter, will you leave also? And Peter responds, to whom else will I go? Who else has words of eternal life? And that has been my experience over my decades as I've looked around at those texts and those scriptures and those writings and those popular authors and the New York Times best-selling list. To whom else can we go? No one truly has words of eternal life but Jesus. Such was the experience of a man named Benjamin Weir, who back 30 years ago was a minister and missionary assigned to Lebanon and taken captive as an American 
because of political things that were going on in the world with the U.S. embassies. Held captive for 16, 17 months, he was out without any resource, without anything but a blindfold for the first part of that time. And when he was finally released, he told the story that the only way that he stayed sane was by recalling the hymns that were written on his heart and by every day beginning at Genesis 1 and recounting all that he could remember of the story of God's word written on his heart already. May we never be taken captive. But if we were, may we be sustained and enriched and strengthened and even nourished and empowered by God's word within us. In the words of a guy whose name is Smith Wigglesworth, which is kind of fun, he writes, the Bible is the word of God, supernatural in origin, eternal in duration, in, inexpressible in valor, infinite in hope, regenerative in power, infallible in authority, universal in interest, personal in application, inspired in totality. Read it through, write it down, pray it in, work it out, and then pass it on. Truly, it is the word of God. It brings into man or woman the personality of God. It changes the person until she becomes the epistle of God. It transforms her mind, changes her character character, takes her on from grace to grace, and gives her an inheritance in the Spirit. God comes in, dwells in, walks in, talks through, and sups with that person. It is true. And the old-timer George Muller wrote, the victory of our spiritual life will be in exact proportion to the place held by the Bible in our life and thoughts. And I've seen this to be so true. I solemnly state this from the experience of 54 years. The first three years after conversion, I neglected the word of God. Since I began to search it diligently, the blessing has been wonderful. I have read the Bible through 100 times and always with increasing delight. Each time it seems like a new book to me. Great has been the blessing from consecutive, diligent, daily study. I look upon it as a lost day when I have not had a good time over the word of God. More concisely in the words of Presbyterian missionary and minister from a generation or two ago, John Wilbur Chapman, that are printed on the fronts of our bulletin this morning, I find that I have power just in the proportion as my soul is saturated through and through with the word of God. I find that I have a power just in the proportion as my soul is saturated through and through with the word of God. If we want to experience the power that Jesus talked about, if we want to have the abundance to experience the eternity that Jesus talked about, we would do well not just to hear what he said, but to also practice what he taught and to walk in his steps, to live as he lived, which includes being immersed in God's word, not that we might be saved. We're saved by grace, God's grace through faith but that we might live into the kingdom that Jesus came ushering in. And the kingdom that he promised is coming and available and near. We would do well, as Jesus did, to be immersed in his word. The grass withers and the flower fades, Isaiah wrote, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Let's pray.
We thank you, God, that our faith is not arbitrary, but that it is grounded in your word, in the scriptures, in the words of the Old and New Testament, handed down to us through the inspiration of your spirit, to and through men and women over the ages, reliable, trustworthy, true, and good. May we, by your grace, be people who increasingly, not in order to be good, but in order to experience your kingdom and to see and to be Jesus' friends more closely, be immersed in your available word to us. And may we find great joy and delight and life in that. Amen.